Today's verses is Acts 9, 31 through 35. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Thank you. Now as Peter went here and there among all, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a na- man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson, and it's great to have you all here this morning, and it's fun, though the last couple weeks have been really fun. Um, You know, we had Easter, and then we had a baptism service last week, which was incredible and encouraging and fun. It's also good to kind of get back into some normal, if you will, you know, together. Um, Here, I don't have to, uh, you know, wear a tie or anything crazy like that. But again, it's just great to all be here. Um, If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to let you know I have a speech impediment. So just a heads up so you guys know what that is as I go along and you're not trying to figure it out. It's not hip hop. Um, It's... uh, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go. And um, a couple things. We're going to get into it here pretty quickly. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you go ahead and hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, this is our gift to you. Y también si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, um, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo uh, a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 9. I um, want to make sure everyone, we got one up here. This is an auction. I can call it out, um, make sure we're in our Bible. So while they're handing those out, while we're getting there, a couple things. I didn't plan on even saying all these things, but I just want to make you aware of a couple of the things. One is that what Emily and Stephen just did, the All of Life interview, which was amazing. Emily, great job, wherever you are. That was so good, so well communicated. Um, amen? That's, a, that's also a little example of what I'm going to ask you to do from time to time as we go. Um, I like to call for some response, right? Make sure we're all tracking with me. Um, so that's where I'll say amen. Amen, amen means like, yes, I'm with you. Um, and so anyway, those all of life interviews, our goal is to do those a lot more often than we have. Some of you who have been here for a while remember we used to do them more often. And as we're still kind of like, we're like an adolescent church in some ways, right? We've got our three-year anniversary coming up. And we're still like, we're growing in maturity in a lot of ways. But then in some ways, we're still like, oh, yeah, I forgot that. I forgot to, you know, whatever kind of thing that teenagers tell their parents they forgot to do. Um, oh, I forgot to call, right, before I <laughs> stayed out all night. Um, That said, uh, we want to do more of these all of life interviews, and I thought this was a great kind of restart. So with that, just a forewarning that we might ask some of you to to be involved in some of those as we communicate God working in all kinds of different ways. Uh, Amen? Okay, also, we have a lost and found. I didn't plan on doing this, but I had to bring some flip-flops and a water bottle that were in my car all week um, because... uh, they were left here, and our lost and found was already closed. So just a reminder, okay, and we're okay doing that, right? Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I'm happy to take your flip-flops with me all week. I even may even wear them if they're the right size. But 
No, but um, if you leave something here and you're like, where might that be, or you don't know where it is, check, okay? We've got all kinds of stuff back there. So let us know. Come and ask if you leave something here. It's likely back in the lost and found closet, okay? So also, I wanted to say David did an amazing job up here uh, in the beginning, but I heard some murmuring, and I don't want to get inundated and flooded with emails. So I just want to share... Um, we don't baptize infants, and that he used the language of baptism. This might be more confusing than not, but I just want to kind of preclude this right on the front end. He explained it incredibly well. We have a child dedication coming up on Mother's Day. It's an incredibly pointed and intentional time where we will pray for and commission the parents to raise their kids in the, in the admonition and love of the Lord. And, and so that said, that's what it is. Just want to make it clear, because again, uh, I just... We want to keep my inbox at a minimum here, okay? All right. Let's pray together as we get into our time in God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this, uh, this time we get together in your word. And even right out of the gates here as we get into it in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and we see some dissonance in the early church and in um, your people gathered together in response to your good news. I pray and trust that it would lead and form and shape us here as a people. Because I know for me, and I'm sure many of us, it's been a week. Uh, We experience dissonance. And so I pray that as we come together and we see you and your character and your works on display, that we would respond in faith and trust as your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, getting right into it here. Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. So what we have here is somewhat of a transition, right? We're, we've been in the book of Acts for many, um, for many weeks now, even months, and we'll be in Acts throughout pretty much this whole year. And the Acts, the book of Acts, if you're like me, didn't grow up in the church and you're like, what? That's kind of a weird name. It, it, that word Acts means like works or or um, actions, or, 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 or acts, and it's the acts of God. Even though in most of our Bibles it says the acts of the apostles, it's actually the acts of God through his people gathered together, and so it's really God revealing his character. And specifically this morning we see God revealing his power. And so there's this whole transition point because we just saw the conversion of Saul, right? Back in Acts chapter nine, verse one, we saw this guy, Saul, that was breathing threats against God's people, against his church. He was anti-Christ. This guy famously known now as the Apostle Paul hated Jesus and all things to do with Jesus and then is converted and all these different things are going on. And then it's like, a so that's what was going on. Now, let me tell you about Peter, and we go back and we see what God's doing through Peter. But So this verse, verse 31, is kind of a transition point, but a word comes out here that really stands out that I think we need to press into this morning, and it's that word peace, right? This isn't, you know, hippie, peace, whatever, you know, just kind of a word that we just kind of throw out there and move on. Oh, peace, peace be with you. Peace is a loaded word. It's connected to the Hebrew word shalom, And peace, or shalom, is simply put, the way the world ought to be. 
Because in the beginning, when God created everything, the heavens and the earth and everything in the oceans and all things, and then he created humanity, you and me and us in his image, and God said, um, God, God said now, now, now go and multiply, and as we just heard about, your work is supposed to reflect God and his goodness and God and his rule and his power and all things in the world as they ought to be under the good and trustworthy rule and reign of our creator, shalom. And then sin enters into the world, which we all know too well. Individually and communally, and again, like we just heard in that all of life interview, systems and structures and workplace and family and, 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 and self-reflection uh, and identity and, and, and relationships and, and dating and work and all kinds of things have been affected and infected by sin, which very simply put is not God. Sin is, no thanks God, we got it from here, we'll take it, you can hang back, we don't need you, we'll figure it out from here. And very simply put, sin is an assault on this word peace, shalom, the way things ought to be. Sin is the opposite of that. Sin is brokenness. And as we've read through Acts, and certainly someone in the, uh, when this was first written, as people walked through this, they would have, they, they would have felt some, some, some tension, like perhaps some of us have as we've read, and certainly like many of us have in our everyday lives. We read through things and we see, whoa, there, was, there were just a couple verses before that word peace was used. There were threats of death on this guy Saul's life and the church was persecuted and scattered and all kinds of horrible things. Just a couple chapters ago, in, um, in, in chapter seven, this guy named Stephen who's like, You're, you can't help but cheer for him. And then that chapter ends with him getting stoned to death getting crushed by rocks, by people who hate Jesus and hate what he's all about. And, and then there are other things that happen good and it's like, and so let me explain, because this is an important theology, okay? A, a, a theology is a right belief of God and his character and how he works. There's this, this incredibly important reality that again, I think all of us experience in our lives, but maybe don't have the vocabulary or the understanding to put some words to. And it's referred to as the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Because though we've all sinned, right, like we just talked about, God didn't leave us there. He sent his son Jesus to live the life that, 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 that is one of shalom, perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with all things. And Jesus came and entered into our brokenness, our, our not shalom, our sin-infected, rancid, putrid world that we've grown so accustomed to, Jesus entered into it. And then he didn't just say, all right, there, I did it, now peace out, I'm gone. But no, he, 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 he died on the cross as we just spent a whole week really embedding in, in, in and looking at Good Friday. And then Jesus victoriously rose from the dead so that sin and all its effects could be put to death and so that you and I could be reconciled to God, forgiven, accepted, 
made new, made whole, and then Jesus victoriously raises from the dead to usher in this new kingdom, this shalom, to begin redemption and to, and to give us a picture of the world that it will one day be once again when God restores everything as it ought to be. And so it's like the kingdom is here, the good news of Jesus, shalom, there's peace. God's people are experiencing peace and then there's not peace, there's brokenness. And again, this is a reality that likely many of us experience in our day-to-day lives. I I experienced that this week, like I'm sure many of us have. Let me just tell you what kind of week I've had. It's been, so on Monday, I got to be on Mount Lemmon. Incredible, beautiful, right? Cool weather, trees. I was praying with a number of other pastors and church leaders from all over Tucson, and we got to pray for one another and all these good things. And then I come down the, the mountain, and then on Tuesday night, I hear of an terrible, sad tragedy that some people that we dearly love who even serve in this church had the, the, the sudden and unexpected and again tragic loss of a loved one and it was jarring and not the way it's supposed to be. And then on Wednesday night, my family and I kind of improv. We're just sitting around outside and the way things work out in our week, we got to just all be together. We ate outside, we you know, cooked on the grill. Um, we, we got to experience, we asked a question and everyone answered it and the kids were you know, in, engaged and encouraging each other and it was incredibly good. And I just remember in light of some of the news on Tuesday, I just sat back and just said, this is a little picture of shalom, this is good, this is healing, this is the way it's supposed to be. Then the next morning, I'm driving my daughter to uh, get picked up to go to a conference that she's able to participate in. And I'm just kind of zoning out at the intersection of First and Fort Lowell, kind of looking off. And she says, Daddy, look. And you know, she's sweet little nine-year-old. I'm expecting a butterfly, you know, fluttering by. Well, what is it that I see? that my nine-year-old has to bring to my attention, I look over to my left and literally like eight to 10 grown men are in an all-out brawl in the middle of the intersection. It's horrible. Blood, uh, you know, just people ganging up on other people, not the way it's supposed to be, ugly. My daughter's like confused and questioning what's going on with this world I'm in and then and then we had this incredible weekend. And then last night, my wife's up most of the night because she's having like an asthma attack or something is going on. And, and I mean, and that's just a picture. That's one week, right? I mean, just as I'm saying that, just I'm sure you're thinking through, what has your week been? This, this some good and some not good. Some peace and some assault on peace. Some this is the way, this is a picture of the way the world ought to be. And then for some of us, maybe even the very next day or the very next moment, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And the author here writes this, Luke, writes this intentionally in this transition to reveal to us the good news of Jesus that has come, that defines our life, that informs the the good news that he has come to put an end to death and suffering and to usher in this glorious kingdom. And it is here, it is now, but not fully. And as God's people, let me encourage you, let me encourage us that we live in that place. And so what he does is in these very next two stories, which we're gonna walk through here, the healing of Aeneas and then the raising of the dead of this gal named Dorcas, right? Tough life already, her name's Dorcas. But 
we're going to walk through this. Usually what we do is we walk through kind of verse by verse. We just go through. Well, the way, when that's appropriate, that's what we do. But the way this is written is these two stories kind of interplay with one another and go back and forth. And there are incredible themes that we would miss if we just went verse by verse that, are, that kind of come out in both of the stories. So what we're going to do right now is we continue to see God's peace in and amidst a broken world and how that comforts and informs and shapes us is we'll walk through these two stories that reveal some characteristics of God's power. And so what we'll see here is God's power that heals. I think I have it up here. You can see as we walk through that God's power heals and then God's power is real. And God's power always points to Jesus. And God's power is on the move. And this is meant to shame and to shape, not shame, to shape and inform God's people and define our lives as we live under his good power, informing every facet of our lives. So with that, let's now pick up in verse 32 as these two stories kind of interplay with one another. And as I said, we'll just kind of walk through them in that we see that God's power heals. Let me read some of these verses together for us. First, in uh, verses Um, 33 and 34. There he, again, this is Peter, he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And then again, now in this other story, just pick up with me there in uh, in verses um, 36 and 37 and on. Now there was in Joppa a disciple, that means a follower, named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. We'll stick with Tabitha. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So again, this gal who's known for her good works, that's good. That's the way it ought to be. She's a follower of Jesus, and those good works of Jesus are on display. She's loving God and loving her neighbor, and then she dies. Even again in that, in that verse transition there, you see, that's good. That's not good. And, and, and we're meant to feel that tension, that dissonance. And then look down in verse 40 and 41, though. But Peter put them all outside. So these are some people who have been encouraged, who've been recipients of her good works. They're, they're mourning, they're wailing, they're sad. And then in verse 40, Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and then she saw Peter. She sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. God's power brings healing. You see that on display. This is important for us to kind of settle into because in our day, in our kind of intellectual world that we live in, you know, we have a lot of college students in here, a lot of people pursuing, you know, uh, higher education. And then even in our kind of, in our niche, if you will, in our kind of camp of church world, we kind of really fancy ourselves on, 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 on right theology and on, you know, we, we study God's word and we walk through books of the Bible and, and we say those things because that's true and good, but sometimes we build ourselves up and now we, we hit a little arrogant in it and we even 
relegate the gospel, that word means good news, the good news of Jesus to be something that struggles to really apply to everyday life. And that we think, oh, it's intellectual, it's theological. And then a lot of people wonder, well, how does that inform and impact my real life? God's power brings healing, real healing. In fact, the scriptures are, are full of God's works on display. In fact, the author of this book, Luke, about half the time that people put their faith in Jesus, it's connected with miraculous works of healing and restoration. Okay, this is to remind us here that, that, God's, that God's power is not just relegated to words, but to transformation, to healing. Amen? And, and guys, we need to ask, does our embrace of the gospel, does the way we walk through this, the way we do church, does it impact those around us? Okay, let me, let me acknowledge here a couple of tensions or, or some extremes that we could fall into. One is that we read things like this and we struggle and we're like, well, I don't see anything like that. I don't see miracles. I don't see people raised from the dead. I don't see people that were paralyzed walking. Therefore, it doesn't happen. Therefore, I'm gonna create a theology that makes me feel more comfortable in that. And let me tell you, we're not all about putting God in a box here, okay? Let me just tell you, if you've, we have some people here that travel the world that have been in other countries. I've gotten to go to some different places. God can do whatever he wants to do, amen? And, and he can heal, he can do, he can bring back to life, he can raise from the dead, he can give, he can cure stutters, he can, he can cure a- anything he wants to do, he can do it. And we're not gonna just say, well, no, our theology, that, you know, we're gonna make it a little more comfortable for us. And, and so he, he does whatever he wants to do. And, and there are places around the world that this is happening and we could get into all why in some places and in some times do certain things happen and why not in other places and other times. Let me just say, I, I think it's because God knows what we need and he's gonna do what he's gonna do to reach and pursue and shape his people. He's in charge, Okay which leads to the other extreme, which often gets so focused on the smoke and mirrors and dance and party and whatever, you know, techno rave, you know, picture of God doing his thing that we forget about the very God who, who sent these things, who's bringing in these miracles and just start to focus on the actions and all this stuff. And, and I've even been in context, I've shared this before, I was a part of churches before that would get so caught up in all that and the, and the pomp and circumstance, if you will, that it started to be like, I, I literally heard people commanding the Holy Spirit to do something for someone else. We're also not going to wade into those waters, right? We're not about commanding God to do anything. Amen to that as well. God will do what he wants to do. In our context, I think we're probably more prone to thinking, well, God, maybe God's power isn't real because we don't see these things. First and foremost, maybe Let's pray for some of these things if need be. As we meet someone uh, on Easter, someone's mom came up and, and he introduced her. She's from Phoenix and she had a terrible back pain and we prayed together. And I didn't get all worried. I didn't harness my 12, 13 year old, you know, old church environment and go, go nuts, you know, but I, I just prayed and said, God, I don't know what you want to do. Perhaps 
You would reveal your love for this woman by, by taking her back pain away. Perhaps, like we just heard in the All of Life interview, you will use a doctor who you've gifted and given the, the wherewithal and the insight. Perhaps you'll use medicine that you that is a reflection of your good grace and your creational creativity to heal. I don't know how you want to do it, but God, we're going to ask right now that you would heal her. And that kind of thing, I don't, actually, I need to check back in. I don't know the, the status where she's at. Let me share something else that I think we need to to really take comfort in. I heard this shared, and it's so true in our church context, is so much of God's power is revealed through preventative ministry. And that's something that, especially in a young church and some of these things, that really encourages me. That we can see, and we have seen, we had baptism, service, right? We can see some people go from death to life in their, in their hearts, in, their, in incredible, radical ways. We hear stories of drug addiction and healing from that and deliverance and, and all kinds of different things. But there's so many things too that we don't know how to measure. And I think that's incredibly encouraging and powerful. We don't know how many marriages that perhaps haven't even started yet will not end in divorce because of the ministry of the gospel, the power of God bringing healing and, 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 and showing what a marriage ought to look like. And how many, how many people will not continue to carry the legacy of generational sin that they grew up with because they came to know Jesus while they're in college and they're a part of a community now where they can grow and, and turn and say, oh, that's what it looks like to be a father in light of the good news of Jesus. I don't have to continue in the ways I always knew. I can go this way now. We don't know what kind of incredible, powerful healing God does, even in ways that we can't measure. But guys, the big idea is that God's power brings healing in all kinds of different ways. And let us pray that we would have eyes to see that and hearts to pursue that, amen? And God's power is real. Pick back up with me in a couple of these verses in verse 31 and 36 and 43. I'll just kind of point out a couple things. The, the author here, Luke, and this is common, says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, right? Some, some specific places are mentioned. And then it goes on and it says there in, um, in verses 36 and in 43, these places are are mentioned, right? Up there it says, or in verse, yeah, in verse 35, all the residents of, of Lydda and Sharon. And then in verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. And then it goes on down there in verse uh, 43, and he stayed in Joppa for many days. So these, and Simon the Tanner is mentioned, and these specific names and specific people Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, and this guy named Aeneas, and these names and places. Why is that done? Because the author wants to connect the dots here for the people of that day, thousands of years ago, and for you and I today. In case they would ask, and in case many of us would ask, What's, what's all this about Jesus? Or some people just kind of come up with their own facts, right? And say, oh, it started uh, thousands and thousands of years ago and, and it evolved and changed and this thing happened. And oh, you know, this is how Christianity now in our day has become. It's all evolved and translated. And people come up with crazy stuff that 
scholars, real scholars, Christian or non-Christian, will look at and just kind of scoff at some of the like stuff that we come up with to, to, to try to explain away things that we don't want to deal with on a heart level. And, and the author writes these things so that it's like saying, um, you can go to Joppa and meet Simon the Tanner and hear what he experienced. Go to Aeneas and say, oh yeah, well, I don't know Aeneas. Aeneas, who's, well, let me tell you where he's from. Okay, you can go find Aeneas there and ask about this transformation that he experienced, this, 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 this powerful healing of God and how the good news of Jesus um, informed his life. Go to Tabitha, whose name is Dorcas, and don't make fun of her name, but just ask her about the transformation that she experienced in her life. And in fact, I know I'm joking about her name, but even that intentionality of saying which translated means Dorcas, so to make sure you could know where to find her. Okay, God wants to make abundantly clear to us that this is real. God's power is real. Most clearly and most pointedly, how do we know God's power is real? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because all these names and places that we're hearing here are within a lifetime. These people were alive when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And their lives are transformed and changed because Jesus really raised from the dead. Guys, we're not interested. Amen. Yeah, thank you. I forgot to even call for it. And you gave me. See, this is group participation. Amen? Jesus really rose from the dead, and you see it abundantly clear here, and and, and it's not like we are not interested in playing church here. We're not interested in, oh, it's good for you, you know, raise your kids with the little church, sprinkle a little Jesus into your life. No, we're not interested in that at all. We're told in scripture, I am a fool, and we are fools, and we're all some fools. If we're believing in something that doesn't lead back to Jesus Christ from a real place at a real time, actually living and dying and raising victoriously from the dead. Because God's power is real. And let me ask us again a question. Does the way we live our lives or the ministry that comes from our church reflect the real healing power of God? I pray that it does. As we come before God's word, as we submit ourselves to his scripture, we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us where we need to be convicted, to encourage us where we need to be convicted, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, to lead us where he wants to take us. And we say we exist for Jesus' glory and the good of Tucson. We say all of life is all for Jesus. We pray that our life and our ministry will be such that God's power is so clearly displayed, which leads to that next point, that it always points to Jesus. God's power brings healing. God's power is real. And God's power always points to Jesus. Pick up with me now as you see in uh, verses 35. It says, And all the residents of Lydda, or Lungwida and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. And then down in verse, uh, in there after Tabitha rose, 
It says in verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And now notice even what happens here in verse 40. In case we're prone to say, well, yeah, of course, this was Peter, right? Some religious traditions elevate these guys, you know, St. Peter and, you know, well, well, you know, Peter was the rock. He's, He's used mightily of God and that's Peter and that doesn't really inform our day today. Well, remember this same author, Luke here, who wrote this stuff also wrote the book of Luke, which they go together, Luke and Acts, it's like volume one and volume two. And just, if you're prone to putting Peter on a pedestal, go read Luke for a little bit and see Peter put his foot in his mouth time and time and time again. He always says the wrong thing. He tries to rebuke Jesus. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All kinds of things go on when you read the different accounts in the gospel and you see Peter. And even Peter, look in verse 40, what does Peter do? Does he step in and say, like I experienced before, right? Like some of us who are from maybe more charismatic traditions and there's a lot of good to take from there, but also a lot of not good, right? A lot of silliness to maybe leave behind. And you don't see Peter saying, I command you because I'm Peter, feared by all and and, and set apart by God. Get up and rise. No, what does he do? Verse 40. He kneels down and prays. He knows where the real power comes from. He denied Jesus in his own power and his own strength. As Jesus died on the cross, as he was tried and persecuted, he said, I don't know that guy. I'm not associated with him. But because he met Jesus risen from the dead, he experienced the real power of God that always comes back to and leads up to and flows out of the good news of Jesus died and risen from the dead. And that's where Peter knows the real power comes from. So he hits his knees. He's humbled, just like you and I ought to be. We don't have strength. We don't have power. We don't have wisdom. We don't have it all together. You guys see on display up here often, we don't even know what we're doing. Right, this secret's out. But we know who does know what he's doing. Amen. We know, we know who this whole story belongs to. We know the author, the creator, the hero. And we're going to turn to him always. We take Jesus seriously, but not ourselves. And so when it comes to God's healing, transformative power, we hit our knees and we pray. And something else there that jumps out that you and I might miss here is notice some of the language that Peter uses even when he heals or when rather God heals through Peter, Aeneas in verse 34, he says, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And then similarly with Dorcas laying there dead, what does he say? He takes her by the hand and raised her up. That's resurrection language. And and the author intentionally puts this language in there that we know that all the way back in Acts chapter one, God's people, his church, came face to face with Jesus, risen from the dead. And then Jesus ascended, rose next to the right hand of God the Father. There's a resurrection language there. And then when, when Saul, who again, breathing threats, antichrist, doing his own thing, trying to go out and kill Christians, he met Jesus risen from the dead. And then just a few verses later here, you see that power of the risen Jesus healing. Because God's power always points to Jesus. 
And then lastly, God's power is on the move. Something else that we might miss here in verse 43 is, is an incredible transition to prepare us as we get in next week to chapter 10. A massive shift in God's church going forward here will take place, and this very verse sets us up for that. Go back with me to verse 42. So again, what did Peter do? Or it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And then Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. A tanner is an unclean profession. Remember, we've talked about unclean, ceremonially unclean. Okay, for all of us, what does unclean mean? It, it relates to you and me. Unclean means God doesn't want anything to do with me. It means my life, my decisions, my choices, the things I've done, the things that have been done to me, the thoughts, my words, my actions, my job, whatever it might be, I'm separated from God. And we see all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Old Testament, God revealing his glory and saying, you're right, you're right. God says, I am holy, that means set apart. I am above, I am clean, I am perfect, I am pure, and because we're told all we like sheep have gone astray, we've all turned from God, we have all sinned, no one is righteous, no, not one. You're right, we are all unclean. And this guy, Simon the Tanner, his very profession is a picture of that. And Peter is Jewish. Everything about his life growing up would be to be, remain clean, to avoid being unclean. You don't touch unclean people. You don't stay at unclean people's house. You don't do anything that would make you unclean because you want to you relate with God. You wanna, we want to enter into God's holiness. You want to have relationship and intimacy with your creator. You don't want to become unclean. And the question is, well, what does this good news of Jesus have to do with us? Do we get clean and then do everything about our lives and keep ourselves clean and protect ourselves from everyone else and, and kind of build walls and live our lives in such a way that we don't become unclean? Or, or, or do we understand that when Jesus lived his life, he moved toward uncleanliness because Jesus didn't get dirty. The people he interacts with get cleaned, amen? And this is a picture of the good news on display here that Peter now is being prepared by God to understand the gospel so much that he would, he would stay with someone that is unclean. And the whole theme throughout Acts that we've been reading, remember Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, when the spirit comes, who I'm gonna send to you, he's gonna empower you, God's power. And that power is going to fuel you. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going you're to proclaim and embody and demonstrate the very good news of Jesus, the reconciling, healing, empowering good news of Jesus. And you're going to carry that good news all throughout Jerusalem. And they're like, OK, yeah, that makes sense to other clean people. And then even to Judea, surrounding areas where there's some clean, some not clean. And then to Samaria, where they're really unclean. And then to the ends of the earth where they're like super unclean. <laughs> because the gospel is real. The gospel brings healing. The gospel always points to Jesus. And the gospel is not confined, but it's on the move. And so we are set up here 
to respond and to see this good news of Jesus that informs, that, that goes to the whole world, even to the most unclean places, to the ends of the earth, and even to every corner of your and my life and of our city. And the church is informed and empowered by the very power of God. They're in awe and they're sent and they're transformed. And I pray that we are too. Do you pray that we would be shaped and informed and defined by the very power of God that heals your life, my life, your, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your societal status, your self-identification, your world, our city. God's power heals. God's power is real because Jesus really raised from the dead, amen. God's power always points to Jesus, who we now respond to. And God's power is on the move. And that's good news. God's peace, the way the world ought to be, amidst brokenness and tragedy, amidst dissonance, on a weekly level, on a monthly level, on a daily level, that we can respond to him wherever we are, whatever we, we're going through, because we know that he alone is powerful, he alone is good, and in him alone there is hope. Amen? Let's pray together. Again, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're good, that you're close, you're near. Lord Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. And for myself and my own life and on behalf of all of us here this morning in our congregation, we confess that there are so many opportunities in our life and in our world and in our city to question that, to say, does God really care? Is God really near? Is there really peace? Is there really hope? And Lord, perhaps others of us, maybe we've kind of built and structured our lives to protect ourselves from difficulty. And perhaps we need to be reminded even this morning that still the world is not the way it ought to be. That though Aeneas was healed, he eventually could walk no more and he eventually died. And though Tabitha was raised from the dead and there was great rejoicing, she doesn't live here anymore. She at one point breathed her last. But Jesus, because of your power, because you rose from the dead, we can now see death and say, where is your sting? You don't define me. You don't define my family. You don't define my life. You don't define eternity. So Lord Jesus, I pray now as we respond to you that your power, your healing, transformational, real, on-the-move power would define us and inform us and give us hope. In your name we pray, amen.